um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever uh, time it is you are when you're listening. Welcome to uh, Naughty by Nurture, uh, a podcast by marketers, for marketers, but first and foremost, um, by genuine people, because marketers are genuine people, I believe. Um, well, I hope so, especially after today's episode, we'll, we'll kind of figure out if, if we are still genuine people. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Gavin Lojani. I'm Head of Strategy and Insight at Dot .digital. God, I've got to find another intro because I'm always saying the same thing. You know, I always always talk to clients and say that you should know who's on the other side of the uh, the laptop or the screen, whatever whatever medium you're, you're talking to your, your customers on. You need to know exactly who they are um, so you can market to them better. After all, if you don't know your customers, you can't give them what they want. And I wanted to start this podcast so I can talk to interesting people. Um, and just happened the other day, you know, I, uh, I I started speaking to this interesting person. So uh, without further ado, let's get you to the stage. Adam. Hi, Gavin. Yeah, good to be here today. Uh, I, I saw you probably read the surname and thought I'm going to attempt that, but then actually took a step back and went, no, I'll tell you so what. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you said that because it was part of it was part of what I was going to do. I Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to try it now. Let's let's go for it. It's Is all right. It f- Sammy butchers it every, every single week, so we'll give this another go. <laughs> Is this Fark- Farquharson? Oh, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed in the fact you actually just got it right. Um, is that is that it? That is correct. Uh, so Boom. yeah, I'm Adam Farquharson, uh, senior client experience manager at Moverlink, uh, and my aim really is to work with our clients in EMEA, focusing on how they can best make use of our technology to personalise their digital communications on a one-to-one basis. Uh, I've been working at Moverlink for the last two and a half years, and I was previously a client, so I really just couldn't wait to bring that um, what <laughs> I've learned and replicate it for some of like the biggest clients across the business really nice so okay so you were a client before and you you just got wowed by the tech yeah Is i mean I, I presented for movable link and to be honest there was a part of me that just thought i'd love to bring this tech to more people um it was what i achieved in my previous business was great but at the same time now i get to achieve that with some of the you know biggest brands in the industry yeah i, I mean I'm, I'm glad to have you here because i i do think movable link is is very cool stuff um and i don't want to sort of jump the gun we'll get into a bit more a little bit later but i do i do think it's cool stuff and and that's 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 me in a nutshell really i'm a bit geeky overall um but, we uh, I, well I, I think i think we are i think we are some people try to hide it but you know i love i love data i used to say well i'll still say data's data sexy um so i, <laughs> I love data i love email as well i mean you know I, I, I do. I'm fanatical about email, which makes me a super geek. Um, yeah, but you know, there you go. And Lego, Lego. Oh, oh I love oh, Lego. Your preachers converted. I just got the uh, Stranger Things package, and I've literally been building that one for the last couple of weeks. It's a good way because you can't focus when you're making a set of Lego. You cannot focus on anything else. I've tried. You having, I've tried having a conversation with my partner when she's building something on Lego. It's, it's just not possible. Or at least I think it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. I, I built. I built a uh, a Land Rover Discovery, and seriously, I just needed complete silence because it's got it's got gears and engine. And anyway, we're we're very right off. <laughs> this isn't a Lego. This isn't a Lego episode. This is something else. Um, right. So I, I get I get everyone to um, to bring a guest. Um, who have you brought, Adam? So I've brought my friend Sammy. Now, to explain what Sammy does in one sentence is honestly not possible. I'll start with the fact that he's a builder decorator as he's currently going through his own homes under their hammer project with his new purchase. But primarily, I know Sammy through 
our award-winning podcast that he founded and I later joined called Fulhamish. So it's about Fulham Football Club, basically. Um, he's worked at various radio stations, podcasts, and has recently taken on the well-calculated leap uh, to take on freelancing himself. So I'll let him introduce himself better than I just have. <laughs> Hiya. Hey, Sammy. Uh, thanks for the introduction. I think you pretty much nailed it, to be honest, Adam. Yeah, um, I work in radio and podcasts mostly. Um, and yeah, just recently left um, a permanent job at Radio One to kind of go uh, a little bit more into the freelance world where I can uh, dip into lots of different projects. You, you, you know what? I just found out today that you used to work at Radio One. Um, and now I'm, you know, there's, there's no pressure for me on this podcast today, right? I, I are you going to be judging my every move? Uh, absolutely not. No, no. I think you're doing a, a sterling job, Gavin. It's just, uh, I guess it's just talking to people as if you're in the room is what I tell most radio presenters that I work with. There's there's nothing complicated or uh, over technical about it. You're just having a conversation one-on-one with people. So you're doing a great job, Gavin. Well, either either you're being really polite or you're just really devaluing what we do here. Um, <laughs> I thought I thought there was some skill to it, but uh, clearly not. Um, no, no, I, I, I do, I do, I do feel like that every time we uh, we record. It's just it's just having a chat, you know, just um, some natural conversation um, and and picking out some nuggets of uh, of information that people might find interesting. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, Okay, so before we get into interesting facts, because I always always sort of um, get people to 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 go into interesting facts or embarrassing bits and pieces, I have to talk about Fulham first. Both of you, you're Fulham fans, yeah? Yes, currently. What <laughs> <laughs> this week? Um, why? Why Fulham? Well, my story of supporting Fulham is a bit different to the classic, my dad supported Fulham, so I supported Fulham. Because if anything, it was actually the other way around. I supported Fulham first and then I got my dad involved. Um, Um, I didn't really have any interest in football until I was about 10. Um, Loosely said I supported Man United, but honestly, loosest in the absolute (laughs) sense of the word. Like, I don't think I watched any games. It would maybe just be if someone asked me in the playground, I would say Man United. Um, got taken to a Fulham game by a colleague and just fell in love with it straight away. It was my first ever live football game and I just instantly just became a Fulham devotee really and started wanting to go to all the matches and I was only 10 so I needed someone to take me to those matches so that was my dad and over the years he kind of became uh, changed from a begrudging fan into a diehard loyal who now has a season ticket with me. Nice. It's really similar, actually, to, to my story, Sammy, and the fact that my dad didn't like football at all. Um, he used to um, lament the fact that he couldn't understand why people were chasing a leather ball around. And then <laughs> uh, through his business, he ended up um, with the opportunity to have one of the executive boxes at Fulham. We were in like League Two, and I would go along occasionally. I really wasn't into uh, football either. I can't play football for love or money. But I was going along, and to be honest, I wasn't interested, but Fulham has this way of just drawing you in. And, you know, it's been so many years, like 15, 16 years since then, and I just can't get them out of my system. I kept going to Fulham, and now my dad's exactly the same thing. He's, he's a massive Fulham fan as well, and I look forward to a day we can go back to games together. Yeah, I miss going to games. Um, I think I've got to I've got to be honest and tell you I'm, I'm not a Fulham fan, but like most football fans, you know, you have a soft spot for certain teams. Um, I have to have a soft spot for Crystal Palace because uh, our... Um, our founder 
is a massive Palace fan and we got a box at, at Palace. But I have a soft spot for Fulham because one of my friends lives, you know, the, the sort of flats behind uh, Craven Cottage? Yeah. Or next to, I should say. He lives there and he's a diehard fan. Um, I'll give him a shout out. Shout out to Hisham, um, who, yeah, he's a massive fan. And I've gone a couple of times with him to watch Man United as my team. And I, there was a game that we just got annihilated by you guys. And I had to drive home in the traffic. Very sad from the ground. It's also one of the coldest grounds around because you're just exposed on the river. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. But that's why we love it. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you have to go through the pain to to enjoy when it's the good times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see about that. <laughs> um, okay. Enough about Fulham because you guys talk about Fulham uh, enough. But uh, let's go into embarrassing facts. Are they are they Fulham related? My one's not Fulham related. Uh, okay. My one is when I was seven years old, uh, I actually found the courage to make my first independent random phone call. So you know, most people this would be like, oh, I'm going to call my grandparents. I'm going to call one of my friends. Now for me, I was calling the 0800 number for Disneyland Paris's marketing office. <laughs> uh, I proceeded to basically, I requested a free video, uh, like as it was offered on the TV advert. I gave out my home address to a randomer. Um, this VHS tape arrived addressed to Master Adam. Now, that's my interesting fact because I'm still shocked to this day that, one, the operator didn't refuse to speak to me. as I was, I was clearly tiny, right? Like, you could probably hear my front teeth, like, wobbling. Yeah. But it actually worked as well. That's the second part. And it may have taken four years, but paid off. I had a great weekend in Disneyland where my mum took me, ate mint chocolate ice cream for going on the Star Wars ride. So, yeah, pretty mint. That's that's brilliant, and you know what? That that's testament to Disney's marketing or or sales structure. They they knew you were a kid. They knew it. Yeah, and they just were like, well, you know, if we send him the the tape, he's gonna get a conversion at some point. Yeah, I mean, it it, it worked on it worked on me, and I'm sure it worked on countless others. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure that's part of their their strategy. Um, <laughs> okay, good. Disneyland Paris. I like, I like it. I like it. And VHS as well. In case anyone doesn't know what a VHS is, before we had DVDs. Uh, oh God, I'd have to explain DVDs as well to some people. You know what? Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Let's move but on. Everyone must know what a DVD is, even if they're uh, fifteen and never really use one. It's a, it's a CD with a movie on it. Surely people know what a DVD is. Sammy, after that Apple ad where people are asking what's a computer, I'm not sure about anything anymore. Oh yeah, I, maybe. Yeah, I, I really don't. Oh, you know what gets me as well is if uh, we can't. It doesn't really work on on a, on a podcast. But if I ask you to make the hand sort of signal for a phone call, what do you do? You do little finger and thumb, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course you do. Sammy, you were quiet there. No, I would. Yeah, you wouldn't put your you wouldn't put your um flat hand against your against your ear, would you? Okay, good, good. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, and it doesn't make sense for anyone to do that, but most people well, young people do that now. I said young people. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Let's move on. Interesting fact from, from you, Sammy. Interesting fact or embarrassing, whatever you want to go with. Um, I'll go with the fact that I got my first job in radio because I made a parody video of Taylor Swift's um, I'm Feeling 22. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Are Are you Taylor Swift in the video? Uh, I guess I do assume the role of Taylor Swift. Um, It was my final year of university and 
um, I just had this idea for a parody video. I was doing a, a YouTube channel at the time, which is uh, now defunct. And this video is no longer on YouTube because oh. I, 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 I unlisted it a long time ago. Um, but it got a lot of views and it was called I'm Feeling a 2-2, as in the university grade. Um, and I recorded a music video to it with a few of my mates and it went quite viral especially around kind of like the university um networks and like websites like the tab which was a university website and um a boss at absolute radio saw it and thought he was weirdly impressed by it and um offered me a job i mean that's that's amazing <laughs> yeah That's, i mean i was thinking it was why is it delisted i mean surely now you said that you got a job off the back of it it's got to be amazing why is it still not i do what, i would love to i would love to list it back one day the main reason is because actually part of my freelance thing is that i'm rekindling my youtube channel and trying to go down a more football um element with it and i don't think a random taylor swift uh, parody video quite fits in with the rest of the theme of the channel but it's just unlisted it's not deleted it's there and can be brought back at any time that i choose so i i, I will leave it there but I, I mean if people listening to this podcast want to uh message me and have the link um they are more than welcome to i mean i'm gonna make it happen you guys can have the link if you like i will happily send it to you i'm not i'm not ashamed i think i think it needs to happen uh, <laughs> and you're, you're jumping ahead as well to uh to your musical recommendations but you know let's let's uh let's 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 keep that in our back pocket there um right okay that's <laughs> i don't know straight away i'm just thinking of you doing drag i don't um yeah, no, it wasn't drag. I was very much just in my normal clothes uh, right, when, when, okay. when doing it. I wasn't like bag of chips. I, I very much was just me. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Anyway, let me try and get the image of you in drag out of my head. Um, and let's get a little bit more serious. Not not completely serious because, you know, this is a, this is supposed to be a fun podcast as well, as, uh, as factual and interesting and all that good stuff. Um, so let's, let's throw it back over to, uh, to you, Adam. Um, what is your topic of today? What is it you want to you want to sort of dive into? I think I want to talk about today why personalization is important. And this is from the approach as well that I think personalization sometimes has a bit of a bad name from consumers as well that, you know, how, we, how we're using data and things like that. But really, it's a case of why is personalization important to brands? And why is personalization important to customers as well? Yeah, 100%. See, I, I like that. I like that last part because, you know, um, you're always talking about um, personalization to to brands, um, they must do it to, to you know to to make your your stuff more appealing. But if you you want to sort of flip over to the the customer side and, and see why it's so useful, it's so important as well. So um, let's let's kick off into it. Why why do you think it is important personalization? Well, I think that you know a lot of um, us that work in personalization, we work in roles usually labeled customer relationship management (CRM). Now, if, if there's no relationship between the two parties, why are you speaking? So I'll give the anecdote here. If you're having a conversation with someone that you've been friends with for a couple of months, yeah, you've told them what you're interested in. Maybe you know you met them at a party. Maybe there's been some fun days, nights out. We've learned a bit more about them. You know, you've bought them a present or attended a gig of theirs or something. You've shown intent and behaviour that demonstrates what kind of person you are. Now imagine you know you had a chance meeting with said friend in the street post lockdown, obviously, so it's not too awkward and you don't have to social distance. But and this person says, 
hi, customer, are you interested in ice cream? <laughs> you'd feel pretty let down, wouldn't you? Like You'd be like, I've told you all this stuff about me. You're treating me like nobody. So if a brand has gotten to know you, your behavior, your data, and treats you as they treat anyone that they barely knew, then what's the point in people engaging with your brand? It won't foster any kind of relationship or loyalty off the back of it. You paint a good picture there. And see, this this is the brilliant thing. We're always trying to catch up with um, with the real world. I'm doing this in inverted commas, the real world mm-hmm. um, in what we do in, in marketing and, and try to make it um, more personal um, and just try to, to, to mimic what we would have in a, a real life store or something. Here's one of the things about the digital world that is incredible is I have a terrible memory, right? So if I met you, not you necessarily, I'd probably remember you because we'd, we'd talk about Fulham or something or Lego. Um, but if I met you, you know, around the circuit and the ecosystem, whatever, um, and we bumped it into each other again, there's a good chance because my memory's rubbish that I'd look at you blank and just kind of think, nope, nope, sorry, can't remember you, don't recall you at all. So there's, there's a chance that might happen. But with what we're doing in digital, we have the data. So there's no excuse for us having that that awkward situation where we're going, like you said, hi, customer, how can I help you? Well, you should already know, right? I think that's that's the the, the thing. You know, we've got this data. And it's it's it, it, we shouldn't get to that sort of awkward position. Yeah, I mean, if you there's no point in collecting all that data exactly as you say if you're not going to utilize any of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that you know we say at MoveLink for sure is that customers don't actually consume data; they don't experience data. They experience you know visual experiences, and you can't actually say, oh, "I've got all this data on you. Let me just send it all to you." That's not going to get a customer engaged. But if you use that data to personalize the way that you're speaking to them, in the same way that I do, we do our everyday relationships, mm-hmm. like. If, you know, me and Sammy wouldn't be friends if I hadn't have chatted to him about what he's interested in, what he does, and we have to have a kind of common interest there to be able to have those conversations. But if you did that to your customers and you just treated everybody the same, you're not really going to have very meaningful friendships or relationships. And and just to kind of get get Sammy in here, um, when we're talking about personalization like this, because you're not, you're not necessarily in our world, yeah. Um, like it's an exclusive club. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, when we talk about personalization, does it does it resonate with you? Does it does it mean something, or are we talking gibberish? No, I think it completely resonates, right? And and, and everything that you do needs to be personalized to a point. And I, and I guess I, I'm in an industry which actually is probably as far away from personalization as possible in radio, right? Where you have to make a service that cannot be personalized in in any way although people have tried with kind of new technologies but the by far most reachable platform that radio sits on is like fm and, and digital radio which which cannot be personalized at all but saying that you do have to think about your end listener and your target demographic so highly and therefore you need to skewer your content to appeal to a certain audience and so when i was working at radio one and there's a big focus there now of trying to aim it at the 16 to 24 year old audience and trying to put yourselves in their shoes even though actually the majority of us that work at radio one are actually outside that demographic you know i'm 29 and it's hard to relate to a 16 to 24 year old sometimes yeah we had um that that conversation earlier about like how would you signal that with your hands that you're on the phone you'd use your you'd use your thumb and your little finger and that's now not relatable to a 16 year old who's never used a flip phone or or any kind of phone that works like that so i think that 
yeah, personalizing content is, is is essential in this day and age, knowing who your audience is. Obviously, with the technologies that you guys work on, you can personalize content to one person, and that's insane. Yeah. But it's existed as long as time that you need to, um, you know, redistribute your content to make sure that the end listener relates to it. Otherwise, what's the point? We might as well just sit here and just stick anything out into the world, which as we know in a crowded market just doesn't stick. Yeah. I mean, I always talk about batch and blast and that's an, an industry term, batch and blast, just sending, you know, everything out to everyone just in one fell swoop. Uh, and I always talk about the um, sort of an analogy that's similar to yours, Adam. I, I say, you know, if you're walking down the street and you shout oi down a busy street, you know, um, you'll get everyone sort of t- turning around and looking at you like, what the hell does this guy want? You know, it's crazy. Um, but if you've seen your mate and you're shouting, oi, that's not quite the, the one. You're going to have to shout out their name. And, you know, if there's a particular person you want to shout out to, you can you can use their name, you can use what they're wearing, all of that sort of stuff, and they'll know it's them, you know? Um, so, so that's what we're trying to do is sort of break through the noise. Um but I, I, I guess I guess the whole point of personalization as well is sort of building up this sort of um, image and and um, I, I like to say talk about sort of digital body language as well, sort of seeing all these sort of aspects of a person, you know, um, what they would tell you about directly, the implicit and explicit data that we sort of get from them, so you can build a three dimensional view of this this person, so you know exactly what you're working with. Um, cause we were, we were talking the other day and you said something to me, which, which kind of sort of resonated with me, which is you're a totally different person, um, outside of work than you are inside of work. Um, and you need to be able to see that, right? Yeah. I mean, it, from, from the outside, you know, a lot of my clients, maybe when they first meet me would think I was really, my, my core interest was providing best practice, strategic, real-time visual experiences. I mean, that's whoa, not, whoa. That's, it's, yeah. it's not, no, that, that's not me as a person. You know, I don't, I don't wake up every morning and just think, do you know what? I'm going to make sure that this is what I'm going to do today for X brand. No, really, if you ignore me as a three-dimensional person, you never know that I've got a deeper rooted interest in football. As mm-hmm. we said, specifically Fulham, you know, I love guitars, you know, that's my main hobby and music recording and things like that. And I'm really incredibly hard to market to via email. That's another thing you wouldn't know about me because the way that I read and view communications is naturally skeptical. But you wouldn't know those things about me if you took first impressions of what I do on a day-to-day basis. So if we take customers' first actions and we Mm -hmm. try and put them, you know, that's the same way there. So my first impression with a brand may be that I was shopping on a food retailer's website for a case of beer. Now, this, in fact, was likely a present um, because I don't drink beer personally. So if this was taken as a first interaction and every email I received after that point referenced the brewing process of some, you know, like hipster beers in the UK. Yeah, that would be like an incorrect method of applying first action personalization to me. And it would never actually represent who I was. However, if you want to generate kind of real value and learn about what customers are interested in, in the same way we learn about each other, it's about taking in those experiences, those triggers, those actions and using that to inform what we do in the future around that personal customer. I don't mean to like oversimplify relationships though, like, but me and my partner wouldn't be together if we took how we first met 11 years ago on the basis of how to interact with one another. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> how many relationships have, 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 have broken down because of that? First impressions, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I won't name any names in brands, but as soon as you said that to me, I, I was thinking there was one brand in particular. I was searching for something for my uh, my girlfriend 
and you know, I bought it. But from that point, I was a woman to them. And I couldn't, I couldn't change it as well. This is the other thing. Um, fair enough, you know, you've, you've taken first impressions and that's, that's bad enough. They, they didn't come back to me to ask um, sort of anything else about me so they could have a, a proper understanding of who I was. Um, but there was no option for me to change things as well. So from that day on, I was a woman and that, I couldn't change it, which was really annoying. Um, yeah, so that, that, that really got to me. So I, I do, I do agree with you. Those first impressions, uh, is not something we should, we should base our whole sort of, um, marketing structure to that individual on. Um, yeah, it just, it, that, that kind of really rubs me up the wrong way. Um, do you kind of see that Sammy? Is there anything, anything in, in that respect that you, you see, you know, brands marketing you, uh, marketing to you in the, in a completely different way, or don't you see things like that? No, you do. And you can obviously tell when things are personalized towards you and the adverts that kind of follow you around. And and I, I, what annoys me is when I think like people like my parents will say, yes, yes, but that stuff doesn't work on me and think that it's as like clear cut as that because they don't actually click on those adverts and then go and buy the things at the time and don't realize kind of that the nudging aspect of it is so powerful mm-hmm. that something's just constantly reminding you, reminding you, reminding you again that that you need it, and that marketing is so much less black and white than people think. They think I see adverts, I buy product, and yeah. and, and like marketing just doesn't work like that. It's all about being in your con- in your subconscious, and it's, it's so many subtle elements um, to it. So I definitely think I'm aware, but I also am amazed by some of the tricks up the sleeve that I think even to someone that would like to think that they're fairly hyper aware of how marketing works probably are off my radar. And I, I'm sure even you guys get hoodwinked by some things which you don't even realize that are going on. Definitely. I mean, actually, I was I was speaking to Gavin the other week and I said the same thing. I'm so analytical of an email that I get. Oh, they've used X data to probably do this. That means that I'm, I'm being shown this. That does not stop me being shown a hoodie that is about 12 quid on Instagram. And before you know it, it's it's ordered through Apple Pay. Things like that. If you make a good visual experience, it, it can, as you say, hoodwink anybody into that. But I think it's those those experiences are starting to be slightly less impactful because people are, as you say, becoming aware of it, becoming wise to what happens there. And real personalization does have to take into account those multiple data points. And in a lot of those adverts, sometimes they take into account one or two data points, what you last did. But mm-hmm. it's really, I think, the real personalization and where I think this is where the industry will move towards is where you've got all of these bits of data sitting in different places and a brand can actually talk to you like they truly know you rather than just, you know, kind of last action or next best action and things like that. Yeah. Conversational. That's, that's how you want it. Yeah. And, and you, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up that, um, that Instagram thing. Cause when we were talking before, it annoys me as well. It annoys me that it works because I like to be able to think that working in the industry, seeing all the, the tips and, and, and the tricks and bits and pieces that I wouldn't be hoodwinked as you guys have said. Um, but it gets me, Instagram gets me all the time. Just it's just constant, but it's it's just it's just one of those things, and I, I I think I think there in that it shows um, that you've got conversion by using these things properly. As you were saying, Sammy, it's not all about getting the um, getting that person then and there with that one particular uh, campaign. Um, I think you know I've, I've spoken to people uh, at length about sort of attribution um and not sort of thinking that every single email that we send out needs to be making 
um, money. It's it's about sort of uh, lifetime value of a customer. And I think with that, um, is there money in personalization? You know, is is it profitable? Um, just a, just alone. I mean, it's definitely long term profitability in terms of customer retention. I mean, you won't get uh, also to be able to get personalization and to be able to get the data points to be able to do that. It does sometimes take a little bit of time to do like welcome emails are some of the most unpersonalized emails a lot of the time that you can send because somebody signed up through a web form. We a lot of the time don't want to ask customers too much. We need to get them in, you know, engaged in our brand. But if you have a welcome campaign, that's different. You know, that's your first welcome email can give you an indication of what that customer is interested in based upon what they engage in inside the email and then retargeting in future emails as you start to learn more about them. So with a lot of my clients, I'm speaking around, you know, three, four emails series where you are learning about the customer as you go through. Now, until you get to that fourth interaction, yeah, you don't know enough about them to be able to personalize it. Now, is there profitability in it? Yes, but it takes maybe a bit of longer term to do that. I mean, 84% of customers say that being treated like a person, not a number, is very important to winning their business. So customers are on average, you know, 2.1 times more likely to view personalized offers as more important versus unimportant. But these stats can't come into play until you've, you know, gained some of that data about that customer. And that does require, as you say, a conversational piece. Yeah. If If your first email with them is saying what you're interested in, they tell you the second email, you then personalize with a bit of that information. It's the same way as you'd have a conversation with somebody. You have to relate to what they've just said or what they've just told you. Yeah. I, you know what? It's it's so, I'm, I'm glad again, and it's, it's I sound like a broken record. I'm glad that you brought this up. I'm glad that you brought this up. Um, because welcome uh, welcome emails are, are one of those that it's it's a great time for you to interact with that person and get exactly what you, you need from them. Um, like you were saying before, you know, the first first sort of interaction with um, friends or partners, you want to get as much information um, from them as possible. Because if if you aren't compatible, what's the point of carrying on? So you've got you've got a great indication that you're compatible because they've signed up um, for your emails, um, but it, then it's it's on to you to kind of um, to to kind of get as much back from that as possible, um, and they're going to love it as well. As you said, you know most people are, are wanting this sort of personalized experience, so it's it's on you to get there. Do you think do you think um, in the first email is too early to be getting that? Um, I, I, I often lead with the question, you know, the answer, sorry, it depends, but I don't know. I want to, I want to see from you what you think on that one. I mean, I, I think that you need to, like, what is, the, what is the action you want them to take off your first welcome email? You do want them to ultimately engage with probably your website and go and view and explore a little bit more. Um, you might have captured some data, but really the most important thing you can capture from that customer is how do they want to engage with you going forwards? Yeah. What is it they want to hear about? Um, because and how is that going to change over time? So welcome series isn't just a thing you send at the start. It's something that you reapproach as well, and you have to take in this data as people change. Otherwise, you know you are viewed as the first customer that signed up. I think the f- the first welcome email is a good place to be capturing some of this data, but it doesn't have to be done in a way that is asking customers tell us exactly what you're interested in. You know there are um, without lifting the curtain too much. There is obviously methods of sending CTAs out that have different categories that you're interested in from a retailer and based upon what people then you know click on there and what they are genuinely interested in that can then inform the future parts of the welcome series so I don't think it's too early Uh, you mentioned about how personalization is important to customers as well we've all got a little bit used to receiving so many emails inside our inboxes if 
all of those are useless information to us, then we're not going to be engaging with email as a channel. Whereas the more that brands start to personalize things, the more worth our time it is, because email is actually there to shorten the journey between having to go and view somebody's website and trawl through information to find what you need. Email is about delivering that to you. So it's actually a form of service. And if we don't tell them what we're interested in, that we're not going to get that service back as consumers. Oh, I love that. I love that. Email is a form of service. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful sentence. I'm going to be stealing that from you and making mm-hmm. that my own. I, I've trademarked it. Sorry. Oh, damn it. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, 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 that, that's one thing that does resonate with me. Here we go, Sammy, not, not to, to, to make you feel awkward here. And if you say the wrong thing here, I might have to cut you out completely. But yeah. um, how, how, what, what are your feelings on, on emails? In, in general, um, and those lacking sort of personalization. So I, I hate to say this on this podcast, but I Uh-oh. am um, an avid unsubscriber. <laughs> Go on. I'd like to, I'd like to hear why. Go on. Um, if I'm honest, right. I, 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 my emails are sacred, particularly my own personal Gmail account is a sacred place and it needs to be zero, right? I cannot live. Uh-huh. If my if my unread gets anything above like five or ten, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I can't de- I can't deal with it, right? It's it's where my work comes into, it's where I'm offered money, and therefore I need it as unclogged as possible, right? So if you're in my emails, like I you're like you need to be important to me. Okay. And so if I get something that even if it's a company that I kind of trust and respect, I do often click unsubscribe if you're even slightly abusing that. Because for me, I, I'd need the, my emails to be clean. And maybe it makes me a difficult person to market to because honestly, I go through so much and I delete it. However, I do subscribe now to a few more newsletters than I ever did. Yeah. And there's a particular one that's uh, for podcasting because I'm interested in it uh, called Pod News, which I actually genuinely, I get it every day. Do I read it every day? No, but probably like two to three times a week I will read it. I get one, I get another one on podcasting. Um, I get the athletics one on football, which I do enjoy. And that's quite quite well personalized to whatever club you support and stuff. So I am willing to let in email if it's useful for me. But if an email is just selling me latest products, I will click unsubscribe. I will nine times out of 10 click unsubscribe because I just think like, okay, I, I don't need that right now. But that's one thing for me. I think if more companies were smarter and offered me something rather than just trying to sell me something, gave me something useful like information or an actual service, then I would potentially be less inclined to subscribe. That's that's what I think personally for me, I would I would look towards. And and I imagine a lot of people will feel the same, but a lot of people can't be bothered to hit unsubscribe. They just hit the delete button. But I right. try and unsubscribe because I think it's a stitch in time saves nine. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> I love that. that. <laughs> I love that phrase. I don't know why everyone hates on it. It's such a good, it's such a good <laughs> phrase. Rather than I, I hit unsubscribe now and then I don't need to hit delete 10 times for those emails oh, that are going to come. I mean, I know, I know what it means. I just haven't heard anyone use it this this century. Um, I don't know why everyone hates. If you find me a newer version of that phrase, then I will happily use it. But there isn't one, so I don't know how to, I don't know how else to say it. 
Okay. No, that fine, fine. You take that. That's yours. What I was going to say, I was going to compliment you um, um, afterwards and, and say, I would like to take you to any client meeting and have you just say what you just said earlier, not the stitching time thing, the, the thing before that, <laughs> because because you've you've pretty much summed up everything that people need to hear. And as interesting as Adam is, <laughs> I think that's what everyone needs to hear. It's it's the the you know um, abusing of of the inbox. I used to say to people that once you you've got someone's email address you've got explicit um access to their inbox do not destroy that trust that someone's given you um and that's what you're saying you know you might be a, a serial unsubscriber but you're only unsubscribing because what people are sending you is is trash um and we we talk quite a lot about not just not just selling to someone but actually giving like you said a service i think that is what people need i mean it's common sense, really, but people do just abuse, um, you know, the the access that they've they've got in the inbox. Well, yeah. an, well an example for me, right? It like, so I'm just thinking of a brand that I respect, right? Maybe like a Top Man or an ASOS, right? I, these are websites that I use fairly frequently to buy most of my clothes. So I guess, although I would never say this or think this, I've got a relationship with that brand. I will go back to them every month or two months to get some new clothes, right? So that's a pretty good relationship. I'm a good client for them. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm certain I've unsubscribed from both of their marketing emails because I will buy things in my own time. I don't need you to come in and tell me when to buy something. However, if Top Man did a newsletter that was like, actually by th- these are the new trends in men's fashion these are five tips of how to i don't know dress better in a slightly less lame way of putting it and i would be interested in reading that if they're actually saying actually this season um board shorts are in Mm -hmm. and actually everyone's going to be wearing those and uh, and actually for the winter you should get yourself a trench coat i don't know then actually maybe that might be something I'm more interested in. And of course, you know, have your product at the bottom. Like I'm not expecting to get an email that's got no advertising in it. Yeah. Um, but that's 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 something that I I think would be a smarter way of doing email just as a as someone that hasn't got too much of a vested interest in in the industry i think what sammy um touches on there is is the perfect point that you weren't getting the right message at the right point in time from those brands specifically yeah and uh, now just to, to allude some of the retail clients i'm working with now and it's actually around the right message at the right point in time so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, allude to radio stations and TV stations. They really used to focus on the 8, 9 p.m. slot because it was the prime time on TV. But the way that we engage with content has kind of changed since then. We're kind of in an on-demand world now. So, Sammy, when you opened that email, you were requesting content from that brand, right? Mm-hmm. But when someone opens an email, they actually want that content then. And that's why real-time personalization kind of comes to the forefront. Like, if I'm opening an email at 10 a.m. on a Saturday and the weather outside's rainy, and their web behavior shows that the previous evening I was actually shopping for wellies, all of those data points can then tell me that that's the perfect message to put in front of you at that point in time. Whereas if it's a batch and blast message, that's not doing the same thing. So with a lot of the retailers that I work with, and actually all the other brands and other verticals as well, it's about using all of that available data to personalize that experience to the customer. It it should stop that kind of turned off experience that you get that forces you to unsubscribe. Because if you can't answer the question, like, why am I getting this as a consumer? Yeah. 
people like before you send that email, a consumer is never going to be able to answer it. And they will ultimately clear that headspace and get it out of their inboxes. Well, of course. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that Sammy touched on, which is very important. It's, it's, it, you said it, and I think it's, you almost kind of didn't realize what you were saying, but you said be useful. Yeah. And this is, this is the thing. We, we should always be useful. If you're not being useful, that's going to lead to unsubscribing. That's the that's just straight away. That's the way people will go. No, not for me. Or worse. Um, and Sammy, you said that you're a serial unsubscriber. But the worst thing in the world is that you aren't useful, and then straight away people go, "Ugh, don't like these guys anymore," and they don't even unsubscribe. They're what I like to call emotionally unsubscribed. They don't even touch the unsubscribe button. They just ignore your emails, which is the worst place. That's like that's like being ghosted. And they'll ignore <laughs> your brand going forward as well, right? So exactly. Like, it's moving back to the anecdote about, you know, interacting with a friend who treats you in a completely impersonal way. If that friend is like the most even if they're like the most popular person you know, it it may help you get over the initial shock of how they're maybe treating you as everybody else. But over time, that's going to lead to you speaking to more other brands or more other people. So it's actually going to mean that when you see, you know, if you had a bad experience with a brand through email, that's going to impact how you interact with them in other channels as well and how you view their marketing as a whole. A bad experience can actually turn you off all of their marketing. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, when you when you're saying that as well, I was thinking um, just to expand on, you know, on the analogy. It's like if if all they're doing is talking about themselves, that friend. Well, w- what are you getting from the from the relationship? You know, just just move on. Exactly. You could speak to the people that listen to what you have to say, and give you the right recommendations, or give you the even just interesting conversations. You say like the the right services then you're more likely to engage them on an ongoing basis. I think this has definitely changed. You know, we have to mention, we've managed to go 40 minutes with barely mentioning a pandemic. (laughs) During this pandemic as well, we've had less interaction with, you know, the people closest to us, but we've had more interaction with brands. So actually the way that brands speak to their customers has become ever more important. Do you think we're going to keep that up or are people going to revert back once we're we're allowed back out on the, the 21st? I mean, I, I think that it's it's a case that people have changed their relationships with brands and they have maybe been a bit more conscious around where they spend their time, where they spend their money and where they're spending their energy, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, it's been it's been draining on everybody. But when you're actually thinking about how much time you're spending interacting with certain brands, I think that's something that does stick with you as well. It's a it's a learned behavior and the way that, you know, brands have had to put more effort into how they personalize their content because they have to, you know, gain people's attention in a different way. I hope that that is something that does change for the better in the long term, because we've already seen the impact that that can have on businesses' bottom lines. But ultimately, from a consumer perspective, it means that we're spending less time sifting through unnecessary information when we're receiving more personalized content. Perfect. That's, yeah, 100% it. 100% it. Right. I want to. I want to just throw out there quickly, and maybe we can blow Sammy's mind with this. Is there any tech, sort of advances in tech that you think that um, you know you want to share with people? Or just mention now. Uh, well, uh, one of the most exciting things I find from you know I'm a technology geek, uh, self-confessed, is the ability to create kind of like a holistic view of a customer in in seconds. Really, right? This isn't a case where you have to. A lot of what I've spoken about is taking all these data points, analyzing them and creating a view of that customer. Now, that is something that a lot of people would see as taking, you know, days of planning. But really, I would say with Move Blinks Tech, this is something that we actually do in seconds. So we started in 2010 by personalizing content at the time of open. 
that was already pretty revolutionary, you know, first of its kind. That was based upon the weather, the device that you open something on. But these days, it's about so much more. It's about the data that brands hold. It all sits in different places, right? So uh, we did a survey, and 42% of marketers cited disconnected technology platforms as like their primary challenge to solve when trying to improve digital marketing. So having a tool that you can basically plug all of those data sources into, generate an image that's completely one-to-one, personalized, at the point of open, in a variety of different channels, email, web, mobile, is a really kind of powerful addition to anyone's marketing stats. So I'm really excited by that because, first of all, as you know, working out the business, it's something that it happens in literally seconds. And I see every day when I'm kind of creating these apps for people that you can literally load up and within a second, it's already taken into account all of that data that we've plugged into it and it's generating the right image. But from a consumer perspective, it makes me excited that I'm, as I said, going to spend less time viewing unnecessary information and more time being given the next best action I should take. Yeah. Here's one for you. Sammy, do you even realize that this stuff happens? No, I don't think so. Like, obviously, <laughs> you realize that complicated mega stuff happens in the background. But actually, no, I think that really you just see an email and think it's someone on MailChimp. Like, you know, you don't actually think that such in like personalization can happen. And I thought it was an interesting point where Asm talked about the wellies earlier. Yeah. And so many people say to me like that your phone, that phones are listening to us, right? Like right, even people right. that should know better, like go to me like, oh yeah, my phone's definitely listening to me. That's why I turn it off or something when I'm having a conversation because it heard me talking about um, wellies earlier and then suddenly it popped up even though I'd never Googled wellies. And, and I was thinking then when Adam said it, it's like, no, it's just so clever. The technology is just so clever now that it's predicting what you're going to think. And it's, and it's married up with it. It's just, it realizes that it's going to rain and that you might be thinking, oh, maybe I need a pair of wellies. And it, it beats you to it. And like, that is scary in itself that people are that clever, but no one's listening to you. Like no one's that, nothing's that well, unless I'm completely hoodwinked. No, it's, know, it's, it's, it's not that at all. It's exactly what you said. You know, people are, we're just taking into account that data and providing, you know, the right content to that customer. Um, but the interesting point about this as well is people, I mentioned it at the start of the podcast, but people see data as like something that's quite a scary word. Oh, they're collecting data on me or they're collecting this big bits of information. But ultimately, if it means that you're getting a better experience, it can actually be quite a benefit to you. Um, it's, Definitely something people don't realize going on, but that should be the way it is because if you realize that you are getting a hyper-personalized one-to-one experience, it would ruin the impact of it for you. Um, So my advice to people when viewing emails, I know this is in complete contrast to what I do myself, but is just do take in the content. Do spend the time looking at what brands are saying to you. And if it is important to you, then engage with it. And it's the same way as you would kind of act in normal life, but just with an email. The reason why I asked Sammy why, what, you know, if you've re- realized this is going on is because if you don't realize it's going on, it's actually better. That means the tech is working really well. It's, it's seamless. You know, if it's, if it's too obvious and you're like, oh, I can see what you're doing there, that, that's, part of, that's kind of off-putting. But what you should be doing is enhancing the experience um, and not sort of hindering it. Um, and, you know, if you don't tell it's going on, if you're you're not offended by anything, then that is it. That's that's what it is. And you know, like like you've been talking the whole way through, that's what the relationship with a good friend is. It's not going to offend you. They're not going to sort of catch you out with bits and pieces all the time. It's just a seamless interaction between two sort of interested parties. So that's yeah, right. good, good, right. 
this is the bit I've been waiting for, really. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I love email. You know, I love looking at sort of new tech and personalization and bits and pieces. I do love that sort of stuff. But the musical recommendations, this is where it's at. This is where we've got to now. And I'm impressed already because, you know, you used to work for Radio 1. So, I mean... Yeah. Adam, you're, you're my guest, but I'm sorry, you have to step aside for a second because totally I want agree, to, don't worry. I want Sammy to go first, and I want him to tell me what his musical recommendations are. Um, no pressure, you know, you like what you like. Go hit me with it. Well, the person I'm recommending at the moment, um, and I'm just a bit obsessed with him recently, uh, is Jacob Collier. Um, okay. And I don't know how much you know about Jacob Collier, and I don't know why the world doesn't know about him. He's a 26-year-old. He's he's English. He's from he's from London. Uh-huh. The man has four Grammys. What? And is he, he's nominated this year for two more. He's in he's in the US right now, nominated for album of the year, and no one knows about him. Well, people do know about him, but I I feel like main the mainstream doesn't know about him. And the this kid is the most talented kid we you've you, you'll ever ever meet we had him on um the show that i worked on just over a month ago and honestly one of the best interviews that i've ever heard um my main advice would not be actually to go on spotify and listen to jacob collier as much as that is a good recommendation uh-huh my my recommendation would be to follow the lad on instagram the the man is a musical genius right he can make what his his biggest trick on instagram at the moment is that Using Logic Pro, he can make words and shapes out of music. Sorry, words and shapes out of music. Yeah. So for Valentine's Day, he drew a heart out of music. And uh, when it was the new year, he wrote Happy 2021 on Logic Pro out of music by drawing it on a keyboard, effect, as in not like a computer keyboard, as in like a musical keyboard um you the have video, melted my brain that doesn't sound possible it would be it's one of the first like three or four videos on his instagram at the moment um he's posting a lot because he's in la but maybe scroll, scroll a bit more uh further down um his video that um i think kind of went viral was he did a song with mahalia and ty dollar sign so he's a producer a singer multi-instrumentalist basically one of these kind of like can do it all type of musicians and he did this video with Mahalia and Ty Dolla Sign. The song was called All I Need and he recorded it mid-lockdown. So how do you do a music video? Well, he did it completely himself at home and he did it in his bathroom, which was a very decadent bathroom. It's a very nice house. And all of the, and um, most of the music was done using items in his bathroom. So he played the soap dispenser. He put a kick drum against what? the panel of his bath. Um, he's in about eight different locations in this bathroom all at the same time, whilst Mahalia is singing through the mirror uh, and Ty Dollar Sign is singing through the bathroom window, all kind of superimposed. Um, and this video went on Jimmy Fallon, I think. Um, that was where it was premiered um, in the States. He is, okay. yeah, he's been nominated four times for songwriting. No, he's won four Grammy Awards for, for things like songwriting and production. Production. but yeah his uh he's nominated this year for album of the year which is late, his latest album jesse volume three um I, I just can't recommend this kid enough because i think he's the most talented musician that we have and no one seems to know about him which i find 
perplexing in itself, but he has a huge fan base um, who do know about him. And and I just hope that it uh, gets bigger and bigger um, as time goes on because he's only 26 and he's already won four Grammys. So God knows what he could achieve. Okay. Well, I, I for one, am going to check him out. That's 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 me done this weekend. Um, Are you going to blow my mind as much as Sammy just has, Adam? I don't know. It depends how much you like Biffy Clara, Gavin. Um, (laughs) So one one of the things that I'll be honest about my my musical recommendations is I I listened to one of your previous podcasts and it was you were saying you struggle to listen to music whilst you're working. Yeah. Now I am very similar in that fact, and that's why actually I used to listen to music so much on my commutes. Um, so that was where I'd be hearing new music and things like that. Now, since I haven't been commuting, um, you know, my musical taste is stuck back around a year and a half ago from what I thought was latest music, uh-huh. uh, which was problematic. Anything past 2010 feels very new to me. But <laughs> I do have one recommendation, which is actually Biffy Clyro's um, song called Space, but it's an orchestral version. Now, what's good about this is it was recorded live at Abbey Road. It's for people who don't like Biffy Clyro because it's a bit of a, you know, shout with Scotsman. It is a lot calmer but if you actually time it let's say you're working on a project and you know you know you're about maybe two minutes from the end if you click play on that song by the time you get to two minutes the ending will feel like they've written a symphony purely for you finishing that project so that's my recommendation here what's what's the song again it's called space orchestral version okay all right i, I do like biffy cairo is it is it many many of is it many of honor? many of horror yeah but horror, this, okay. this is like this is a song from their kind of latest album it was you know a little bit acoustic when they played it anyway but now this orchestral version really kind of adds another element to it i think it's really relaxing as well to have you know whilst you're working i really love kind of orchestral versions of songs because you can kind of have them playing more in the background because it's not the song you know yeah you don't find yourself singing along to it or typing out the lyrics as i know you mentioned I, I, I definitely do that, 100% do that, and it's so annoying. That's why I listen to, to Rain Sounds. Um, you know what? I haven't really given recommendations along the along the way. So, you know, Sammy, you've inspired me because you said that um, you said that Jacob Collier does it all, um, and one guy that I'm just fanatical about as well is Anderson Pack. So yes. I might throw an Anderson Pack track um, in into the playlist because I remember I went to see um, I went to Coachella one year and he was there and I dragged my friends to come and see him and they were like really we need to see this guy and seriously he was incredible he was on the piano he then moved to the guitar and then he was on the drums and it was like is he playing all of the yes he's playing all of these instruments and it was it was insane the guy is super talented um, yeah. So I'll, I'll throw Anderson Pack into into the mix, but I'm hundred percent going to check out Jacob Collier. Thank you for that one. Anderson, Anderson Pack is amazing. Um, he, I, I swear he he never misses. Like yeah. he just doesn't release bad songs. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of Anderson Pack, and um, I have a cool Biffy Clyro story as as we're here. Um, not only did I actually see Biffy Clyro a long time before they were famous, I had no idea I was even seeing them. It was at the Great Escape Festival. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, these guys are good. And then before you knew it, they were world famous megastars. But um, I saw Biffy Clyro in a church once. Were they performing or just there? No, they were, <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. No, they were performing. In a, and um, it was a gig that while I worked at Absolute Radio, and it was honestly the bizarrest place to watch a band like Biffy Clyro. Of course, it was um, it was at St. James's Church, which is just off Piccadilly. And it was a special like gig that was put on by the radio station and recorded live. Yeah. So there was only maybe 100 people in there. Um, a lot of them were like massive B- B- Biffy Clyro fans that had won the chance to, to, to be at this thing. But I was sitting in a pew 
So with the kind of like wooden back and, you know, kind of like how they're formed at right angles and they're incredibly uncomfortable. And I was sitting in a pew while Biffy Clyro performed an acoustic and I didn't really know, none of us knew really knew what to do because we couldn't go crazy because we were in a church, in and, church. We were, and we were sat down. But like, it was like really cool because it was Biffy Clyro and it was just actually, I thought it was going to be a really awesome experience. And in the end, I kind of left thinking, I don't know what to think of that because was it uh, an awesome experience? Yes, but wasn't exactly the classic gig experience either that that you go for. I kind of like, I, I don't know, it's like going to a football match, but no one else was there. Like it's good, but it's not quite the same. It's No, what you wanted to say was it's good, but it's not the one. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, that's, that's probably uh, the word I was looking for. Yeah. Catchphrase. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, good, good. Um, this has been this has been good. I've I've enjoyed this. Um, you haven't you haven't converted me to being a Fulham fan, but but there you go. Um, but thank you, thank you guys. I really appreciate that. All right, all. No, no worries. I think it's a, a, a great episode. Uh, I, I'm just going to say now: make sure you subscribe um, to um, to the podcast. Uh, you know, if you do it now, then you know it's a, a stitch in time. It saves nine. Um, you don't have to do it later. <laughs> Oh, um, an interesting thing on that, Gavin, but I don't know if you've seen that um, now the word first um, podcast is no longer subscribe. Oh, what is it? It's now follow Apple Podcasts this week. Literally, it happened on Tuesday, has now changed the language so that you now no longer subscribe to podcasts. You follow podcasts, um, which is possibly a move to, to the fact that I think Apple and Spotify and lots of others want to make paid for um, channels for podcasts and apparently there's a big link with people seeing the word subscribe as a thing that's paid for and people uh-huh. kind of perceive follow as being a more free thing so um, yeah the terminology for podcasting has changed and I thought um, you and all your listeners uh, might find that interesting because it's been a big topic of conversation in the podcast community this week well, I stand corrected. So make sure you follow the podcast um, and do it now so you don't have to do it later because they're stitching time. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this uh, episode of uh, Naughty by Nurture. And I, I hope to see you guys soon. Cheers. Yeah, hopefully. Cheers. Take care.